Uh, Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth, cloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him, and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Lord Jesus, often we uh, shy away from talking about the things we've done wrong. Often we want to avoid talking about sin. We pray today, Lord, that as we um, look at this confession, Lord, that you would show us, Lord, not only how sinful our hearts are, but also, Lord, the beauty of what you have rescued us from. The beauty of your rescue from sin and death. Lord, help us to search ourselves today, and even the children too, to think about us being wrong, and you being truly good and truly right, and making us free, though we don't deserve it. And I praise you for these truths. I pray for Rob as he speaks to us, and for the children as well, Lord. I ask that you be with them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let me add my welcome to Sam's. It's wonderful to see you here this evening. My name's Rob. I'm the leader of the church. And please keep your Bibles open at Daniel chapter 9. Uh, we will be looking at the rest of those verses together. I'm just putting this one down because I have my own copy. But... Uh, to start us off then, I need you to chat to the person next to you. So you're going to have to scooch up a row if you're not next to someone. Does God care about the evil that we do? Does God care about the evil that we do? Okay, well, what would you point to to make your case for the fact that God does or doesn't care? Is there something that you can point to and say, that's, that's how I know that God cares about evil? Okay, hopefully that's whet your appetite. Um, I'm sure most of the people in the room probably said yes. I'm not sure uh, the kind of things you point to, to 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 prove that God does care about the evil that we do. Um, lots of people would say no to that question, um, and it would be worth us just teasing out some of those answers too. Um, so some people would say, well, there is no God. So there's no God to care about the evil that we do. Um, but I think that is the convenient answer. Because then there's, it plays us on side, doesn't it? There is no God, and so we don't, we don't have to be accountable, really, uh, for the things that we do. Um, there's uh, songs that say, no, nothing above, nothing below. Um, just what we have here. Um, some people say there is some higher power, but notice he's impersonal, or it's impersonal. And if it's impersonal, um, that it has no strong feelings about anything. It doesn't have strong feelings either way about anything we do. That, again, that's pretty convenient um, to say that, that God is an impersonal force, um, just, a, just a strong power. Um, one way that we know that this is what we're thinking is this. And, um, you see it a lot. You hear it all around you, okay? We talk, when we talk about evil, we talk about it only ever in terms of its effect upon other people. 
So you even get the expression, at least they're not hurting anybody, right? That's, that's an example of that, isn't it? Our definition of what's wrong and what's right is whether or not it's affecting anyone else. And so we've literally just said that the only thing that's evil about it is its effect on other people. Not on whether God cares about it or not. So, so it is pretty popular to say that there isn't a God, he doesn't really care about the evil that we do. Um, in, in Remembrance Day, um, we've been hearing afresh about the horrors uh, of the two world wars, the First and Second World Wars, and they were horrors. But I wonder, um, in all the descriptions you've heard and explanation about the wars, have you heard anyone say how these were atrocities done against God? Have you heard anyone mention that it's a, a crime or an act against God? You don't hear that, do you? Again, we talk about it in terms of each other, don't we? Um, and its effect upon each other, which is true, but not really taking into account that it's against God. It is an offence against him, uh, because it's against uh, those he has made. Uh, but it's not just out there, it's in here, and we sang about it in that song, didn't we? Um, it's in my heart, too. Does God care about the evil that I do, that I think, and that I say? It's a pretty relevant question to talk about. Um, and actually, there's a Bible answer to that question. And we need the Bible because it is God's perspective on that question. If we just have our own perspective, we will say, oh, well, you know, it's, it's probably okay. But we need God's answer, and God's answer is in the Bible. And the answer the Bible gives, and this chapter gives in Daniel 9, is absolutely, absolutely. God does care about our sin and the evil that we do. And God will not let even one sin go unpunished. Um, throughout this chapter you hear Daniel saying, we have sinned, we have wronged. And notice, he always refers to it being against God. It's the wrong we've done against you. How we have broken your laws, your commands. We have disobeyed you. We have not listened to your voice. It's all about relation to God, isn't it? Um, well, the Bible, as I said, it brings God's perspective. Notice how in verse 1, or verse 2, um, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years, that's the Bible, by the way, but perceived in the Old Testament, the prophets, the number of years that according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So Daniel's looking in the Bible in order to understand the world around him. Daniel's looking in the Bible to understand what's going on in his life, in his generation, in his time. And guess what? He finds the answer. He, he, he gets to find out what's going on and why it's happening in the, book, in the book of Jeremiah. That this had been prophesied about, that God's people would turn away from him. And then they'd be sent out into exile. And there'd be this period of time before God restored them. And Daniel's response to that is to pray. We're going to look at what he prays about in just a moment. Uh, but the first thing we see from, from uh, verse 4 is actually God wants a relationship with us. Again, 
we look at the Bible, we, we have a big surprise. Because the assumption about God is, well, he's not really interested, is he? He's not interested in a relationship with us. We'd have to twist his arm. But you look at verse 4, and it says, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He keeps covenants. What is a covenant? Anyone know? A promise. Yeah, it's a good way of describing it. Also agreement. I I, I think I kind of, both of them have a, a feel of it being a slightly more formal or serious. You know, I think probably more agreement has slightly more than the promise because we know what we're like with promises. Um, but God's agreement with us, and let me read this definition. It says, a covenant is an agreement which establishes a relationship and which has life or death consequences. Okay, so we start to hear a little bit more of the, the seriousness of this formal agreement that people have made. You get that between people. So people say, I will do this, and they sort of say, let death, be, let death come to me if I don't keep up my, my side of the bargain. And they kill something in order to prove, to see how serious the the consequences would be. Um, The equivalent we have today is people saying, um, you know, uh, I swear on my life. You know, I know people say that glibly, but that's the equivalent. That's the kind of thing. It has life or death consequences, but notice it's an agreement that establishes a relationship. God is after a relationship with us. He wants relationship with you and with me. He keeps covenant. In order to keep covenant, he has to make a covenant. And he would only make a covenant if he was interested in establishing a relationship with you and me. So that's a big surprise, isn't it? That's the first surprise in the Bible. God wants relationship with me. If I went to other religions, I'd spend years and years in religious activities. I'd spend hundreds of hours in religious services and hearing religious texts. And I still only hear the faintest sound, the faintest whisper of that God would want a relationship with me. And yet here it rings out true. You open the pages of the Bible and it's the God who wants relationship. He keeps covenant. He makes covenant. That's what he is like. It's always the way that he does relationship with us, covenant, his agreement, his terms, but he does that because he wants a relationship with us. Um, right from when he makes man, we know that he wants a relationship. He made them in his image, and the whole of the universe and every other created thing is stuffed into Genesis chapter 1. But, Je- but the God's making of man and woman gets a whole chapter. He takes the, the, clay, the ground, and he, he holds it in his hand, and he forms it, and then he breathes his life into it. You don't get much more close and personal than that. So that is the God of the Bible. He wants relationship. He is personal. He is up close. And he does that through his covenant. He establishes a relationship which does have uh, his commitments and it does require our commitment. That's what relationship is about. Um, Well, that's the first thing. A God who wants relationship, verse 1. But then verses 4 to 5... And this is a big thing that we see in this chapter. Our sin has made this relationship deadly for us. Our sin has made this relationship deadly for us. Because of sin, because we have transgressed, because we have ignored God and broken his commands, the flip side of that relationship 
of those commitments that God has. Notice Daniel doesn't change his tune as he goes through. He says, um, the great, great and awesome God who keeps covenant with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. So it's not like Daniel's changing the theme on covenant and leaving that aside. He's saying the way the covenant works out in, in our sin is that God will punish. The covenant, it works both ways. It establishes a relationship, but when we're on the wrong side of that relationship, we will experience punishment and death. He says, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. And then he has it all the way through this prayer. He's going, uh, you have these things, God. You are righteous, and to us belongs this. To you is mercy and forgiveness, but to us is open shame. The contrast between what, what is due to God, in terms of praise and worship and honour and glory, and what's due to us, which is uh, shame for the things we have done. We have sinned against you. Our sin has made this relationship deadly for us. God wants relationship with us, but our sin has turned the whole situation into a, a, a really dangerous place for us. If we are to approach him, we are going to experience his judgment. Um, remember we started off talking about the fact that we like to think in terms of our wrong being against other people. I think there's a reason for that. Um, if I thought my wrong was only against you, then it gives me a false comfort. Because say it's against Mercy at the back there. Um, mercy does not have all the time, energy, persistence and power to hold me to account for all the things that I've done against her. So I can quite happily live my life knowing that I've wronged her because I can pretty much guarantee that she's not going to come back and hold me to account on most of the things that I've done. Whereas with God, the God of, who created all things, who has infinite power and persistence, he will and he can. He can hold all people to account and we won't get away with it. His knowledge is unlimited. He knows everything we've done. He sees even those things that we've thought and said and done in secret. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to feel a little bit less comfortable. That false comfort of thinking, I'll probably be all right, I'll get away with it. It's not going to come back to haunt me. It's not, it's not going to come back my way. God has established his covenant for a relationship with us, but our sin has made that relationship deadly. We are going to encounter his judgment, if not for his grace and mercy. And that's the last thing that we're going to see. Um, it's the thing that Jan Daniel turns to in terms of a plea to God, isn't it? It's, it? The covenant, notice the covenant God, actually is what causes Daniel in verse 16 to turn to him with a plea and to ask him for something. What does he ask in verse 16? O oh Lord, according to your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem. It's not just talking about the place and the bricks. and It's talking about the people. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O oh our Lord, listen to the prayer of your servant 
and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. So here, Daniel makes his plea. His plea is for mercy. According to your great mercy, forgive us. We have sinned. We, w- we are deserving of your punishment. Forgive us according to your mercy. That's the thing he comes to and asks this God for. This God who establishes a relationship, he comes to him, he unequivocally says, we have sinned. We are not deserving of relationship with you. And yet, I'm coming to you. Would you forgive me? Would you forgive us, your people? And there's a lovely little thing. If you look down with me at um, verse um, 23... The, the Holy One uh, is sent out, uh, the man Gabriel, in verse 21, uh, came to Daniel in swift flight at the evening sacrifice, and he spoke. And this is there's lovely things, wonderful things that he says in the end of this chapter. But one of those wonderful things, which has really been amazed me this week, is what he says in verse 23. At the beginning... Of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. At the moment that Daniel was making his plea for mercy, the word was sent out from from God, saying to Daniel, you are greatly loved. Everything that he's just said is true. And yet God comes back immediately with the message, you are loved. I mean, that is amazing, isn't it? That's astonishing. I mean, if I was to go to some, one of you and say, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I've wronged you, I don't think you'd do it immediately. I don't think you'd come back to, I love you. You'd, ha- you'd go away. You'd, you'd consider the apology. But God is the God who, in the, in the moment we, we admit our sin, we come to him for mercy. He says, you are greatly loved. And he throws his arms around us. Just like the, the lost son who goes, around, goes away. The father's there looking for him. He says, you're greatly loved. And then all these wonderful things that he says uh, after that. That's really just the headline. Um, but he says um, about this, we'll read this together from verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin um, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit and to anoint a most holy place. Okay, that's quite a list, isn't it? But it's worth us taking some time over it. First of all, there's going to be this period of time, 70 weeks. I don't think we should be hung up on the exact number because seven is the picture of completeness in the Bible. Seven days of creation. Seventy times seven, this could be. Seventy weeks of years. And so, in the completed time, God will do this thing. 
And what's God going to do? Well, it says um, he is going to finish the transgression, verse 24, put an end to sin, atone for iniquity, uh, bring in an everlasting righteousness. Um, The word of the vision and the prophet will be sealed and he will anoint a most holy place. We'll hear how he does this in just a moment. But this is what he's going to achieve. And this is what he reassures Daniel with. He says, you are greatly loved, but this is the outworking of that. God, I am going to do this. I will do these things. I will put an end to sin. Transgression will be finished. I will atone for iniquity. I will bring in an everlasting righteousness. Uh, The words of Jeremiah will be uh, fulfilled. And I will anoint a most holy place. Where does God do that? He does that in his son Jesus. He anoints a most holy place. In John 1 we hear that Jesus came and God came and made his dwelling with us. The most holy place, the meeting place between man and God is is here in the person of Jesus. And all of the rest of it as well, establishing an everlasting righteousness. A righteousness that is not our own, it is Christ and he gives it to us so that we would be declared righteous. So he's going to do all of this. Um, How is he going to do this? Um, Just look down with me at um, verse 26. Um, It breaks up the 70 70 weeks with the the larger period, which is 62, and the the latter one, which is 7 plus 1. Is that right? 7 plus 1. So after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Verse 26 and verse 27, a little bit tricky, as in, because there's a a first half and a second half. The first half of verse 26 is about the anointed one, and then the first half of 27, I think, is about him too, because it says, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for a week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. Now, previously in Daniel, putting an end to sacrifice and offering seemed like a bad thing. I think here it's the anointed one doing it and he is bringing it to an end because we don't need those things anymore because Jesus is the final sacrifice for sin. So it's a bit, if you, if you just read it straight, you think, okay, have we moved on to someone who's doing something bad? Well, we have in the second half of verse 26. Uh, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war, desolations decreed. And then the second half of verse 27. And on the wing of their abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So, so A, B, A, B, okay? That means that the first half of verse 26 is corresponding to the first half of 27. But that is the, the one who is the anointed one who is going to be cut off, and that's how God's going to do this. Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was considered uh, struck off, cut off by God. That is the one, that, that is how God is going to achieve everything that he's just said in verse 24. Through the death of his son, the anointed one. The one who received the Holy Spirit um, at his baptism and was anointed uh, for his death and burial. So God is the God who establishes a relationship, a relationship which, because of our sin, should be deadly for us, and yet because of his mercy in Christ, making us righteous, uh, we can enjoy again.
It's wonderful, isn't it? You are greatly loved. And, and really, what we should take home from this is that we need to come to God on his terms, not our own. We need to come to God on his terms, not our own. It would be so easy, wouldn't it, to be thinking, we can decide how to go about a relationship with God, how to get ourselves back into a relationship with God again. No, he's shown us. In his word, he's the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. He's not going to change. And that covenant is kept by his son. And this, and Jesus, when he holds up the cup with the wine, and he says, this is the new, this is the blood, uh, this is the new covenant in my blood. He's saying, he's, he's saying exactly the same thing. I'm not saying in, like something different. He's saying, this is the way God establishes a relationship with us through his blood. So come to him on his terms, not on our own. He does want relationship with us. He does want relationship with us. His covenant shows that. But the problem is sin. He's faithful to his side of the relationship, but we have always been unfaithful. We need forgiveness. We need our sins atoned for. We need an everlasting righteousness. And we can't just get there. We can't get any of those things by trying harder. And what will stop us making the same kind of plea to God? In verse um, verse 19, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive. What would stop us? Simply one word, pride. You know when children make a, make a picture and they get, they get, the, they get the wrong coloured paint or they start to mix up the paints and it becomes a, starts going into a real mess and you say to them look stop let me help you and they say no and they carry on what happens it becomes even more of a mess and it's pride isn't it when we say no to God I don't need your help I can do this on my own I can sort out my, my problems and my sin on my own we make more of a mess of things and we needn't do that because he is a God who says, come to me. I want a relationship with you. And he wants to say the words, you are greatly loved. But he'll say that because he, he, his son, that's what he said of his son. I love you. And we need his forgiveness. Um, let's talk to him now about that. Um, let's come to him in the silence of your own hearts. I'll give you a moment to do that and then we'll pray together. O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Now therefore, O our Lord, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God. Father God, we, we come to you acknowledging our sin, that we have gone against you, that we have broken your commands that though you are the God who establishes a relationship with us, we have, 
throwing it back in your face. And uh, yet, thank you, Lord, that when we come to you, you're ready with that word of assurance of your love for us. Thank you that because of what Jesus has done, the anointed one being cut off, that sin has been paid for. Or every sin that we have committed when we come to you can be atoned for. We thank you that then uh, we can enjoy the fullness of relationship with you and an everlasting righteousness. We do pray that this would be something that continues to feature in our lives. That we would be quick to admit where we have wronged you, where we have uh, gone against what you say. And as David prayed, we pray that we would have the joy of our salvation restored to us because we fall on your mercy and your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.